0: Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, May 9th. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. The Petersburg School Board will meet in its regular session tonight at 6 p.m. in the Petersburg Middle and High School Library. The board will address six items of new business, starting with a public hearing on the Indian Education Grant. The federal grant is designed to address the cultural, linguistic, and academic needs of Native American and Alaska Native students. The program, it, the programs it funds are designed to ensure that all students meet academic standards set by the state. The grant requires that the school board give an opportunity for any member of the public to speak about how the money should be used then the school board will review exempt contracts most petersburg school district employees are represented by one of two unions either the associated teachers of petersburg which represents local teachers or the petersburg support personnel which represents employees working in supportive roles like cafeteria and office staff some personnel are exempt from both of these contracts At today's meeting, the school board will review those contracts for the coming year, which will go into effect in July. Following that, the school board will change its bank account signers. Petersburg School District's current finance director, Karen Morrison, is resigning at the end of the school year, having held the position for 12 years. She's moving to Juneau to work for the State Department of Education. Shannon McCullough was selected to replace her and will be added to the school district's list of bank account signers. The school board will also update its calendar for the fall semester. In previous years, teachers at Stedman Elementary have held an annual parent-teacher conference meeting in the first week of school. They are requesting to push the conference back a few days, which would give them more time to complete tasks related to the Alaska Reads Act. Then, the school board will review Petersburg High School's accreditation status, which must be renewed every five years. It will also review the status of its MAP and AK-STAR assessments, which are statewide tests administered by the Alaska Department of Education. The Petersburg School Board will meet in its regular session tonight at 6 p.m. in the Petersburg Middle and High School Library. KFSK will broadcast that meeting live. There's more information on KFSK's community calendar at kfsk.org. Also, uh, Campus Connections is a live show where I will speak with uh, members of the school board. That is today at 1230 p.m. right after Midday Magazine. That'll be an on-air discussion with school officials. Alaska's top medical officer says the state came through the pandemic surprisingly well. It capitalized on lessons from the last major pandemic a century earlier. Dr. Ann Zink was in Sitka in late April for a meeting and presentation on pandemic preparedness in the circumpolar north. Robert Wolsey reports from Sitka.
1: Dr. Ann Zink is an emergency room physician from Palmer. She became the state's chief medical officer in 2019 just prior to the arrival of COVID-19. She was a constant presence in statewide media throughout the pandemic and a trusted source of information zinc thought alaska wrote out the pandemic on the determination of its residents she doesn't want that idea to be overlooked
2: at the end of the day though i hope that what we will take from this pandemic is a sense of uh, resilience and strength it was just a phenomenal opportunity and privilege to see communities and communities of strength come together and respond to a huge existential crisis in really powerful ways. In early 2020,
1: Alaska braced for the inevitable arrival of COVID-19. The precedent had been set almost exactly a century earlier during the last great pandemic.
2: During the 1918 pandemic, the influenza virus came in primarily via phishing and it also came in somewhat by mail, but mainly via phishing. And so communities that kept fishermen out and kept mail out continued to have culture and identity and did not see the loss that communities had where it came in particularly during fishing and we started to see the same thing here in the pandemic in fact our very first case was a cargo pilot you know we're the third busiest cargo airport now in the world like we have a lot of people who come in and out and for fishing we have a lot of people who come in and out and there's a lot of movement
1: the lesson of 1918 guided the state's response in 2020 and 21 develop partnerships with the industries most reliant on transient workers, and contain the virus to prevent its spread to surrounding communities. Zink says there was extraordinary cooperation among businesses, and unlike 1918, the state recorded no direct transmission of the virus between the fishing industry and its associated communities. She referenced the opinion of U.S. Centers for Disease Control Director Rochelle Walensky that these kinds of success stories were not the most visible during the pandemic.
2: Dr. Walensky had a quote the other day. She said, your head might be in the fire and your feet might be in the freezer and your average temperature is just fine, but your experience is really different. And I think that was really the experience in Alaska in many ways. And so particularly with fishing, we just really had to stand in. And I am incredibly grateful for the fishing companies and the independent fishermen and the all the towns and communities where it was amazing partnership to say, how can we maintain Fishing and livelihood and business and economy and food.
1: Zinc says the state's healthcare establishment is learning as much coming out of the pandemic as going in. Her feeling, which she expressed in Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting during the pandemic, is that there are many more threats to the health of Alaskans than viruses.
2: I'm less concerned about the next pandemic, and I'm more concerned about my next shift. And so what ways can we be braiding in health and wellness into everyday activity? And so that's a lot of my focus now with the state.
1: Zinc says that Alaska is unique among the 50 states and that all 229 sovereign tribal nations have joined with the State Department of Health and Social Services to develop a long-term health improvement plan called Healthy Alaskans 2030. Reporting in Sitka with help from Brooke Schaefer i'm robert Woolsey.
0: five years after ketchikan surgeon dr eric garcia was found dead the man accused of killing him is on trial in anchorage the state of alaska is accusing 38 year old jo- jordan joplin of killing garcia and attempting to ship garcia's valuables to washington state the trial started monday in anchorage superior court Garcia had worked at Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Center for a decade before he was found dead on March twenty seventh, 2017. Ketchikan police say Joplin called them, saying he was a, co- a close friend of Garcia's and that Garcia hadn't s- been seen in 10 days. Joplin said he had last visited Garcia on March sixteenth. Police say Joplin left Ketchikan the day after the phone call. There wasn't a clear cause of death for Garcia when he was discovered dead at his home. His body was sent off for a standard autopsy. Later, police would request a toxicology report. But just a day after Garcia was found dead, money started to leak out of his bank account. Police say they were able to trace the money to Joplin and he was indicted on felony a felony theft charge. Garcia's family also reported that some of his valuables were missing shortly after his death. The doctor was known to have collections of expensive watches, wines, and hard liquor. According to police, Joplin had shipped Garcia's personal belongings to his Washington address. The shipments were intercepted with the help of Washington police. Joplin was extradited from Washington to Ketchikan on first- and second-degree murder charges, along with theft. He's been in custody for the past five years. Joplin's trial had been pushed back several times and delayed even further by the COVID-19 pandemic. It was originally moved to Juneau due to the amount of publicity surrounding the case in Ketchikan, and then was moved even further to Anchorage. An administrator in Anchorage's court system told KRBD the trial was slated to last six weeks. Jurors were chosen last week. Superior Court Judge Michael Wolverton is handling the case. Joplin is being represented by public defender Mary Fleming Burnell of Anchorage. Burnell did not request return a request for comment on Monday. The trial is being live streamed. A link is available with the story at krbd.org. The story was reported by Reagan Miller in Ketchikan. Cool temperatures during April have delayed back breakup and green up, and that in turn will delay Alaska farmers from getting their crops in the ground. As Tim Ellis reports from Delta Junction, that means farmers are facing the likelihood of a below average harvest for the third year in a row.
3: Delta Junction farmer Scott Mugridge has to throttle up when he steers his tractor onto a muddy and partially submerged field to scatter some hay for the 50 or so hungry cows and calves there. Mugridge grows hay and feed for his 600 head of cattle and he sells the rest to livestock owners around the state. But he worries he may not have any surplus this year because cooler than average temperatures last month kept his fields mostly covered with snow until the last week or so. And he says unless it warms up quickly, it'll take a couple of more weeks, at least, before the meltwater soaks in and the mud dries enough to begin planting hay and barley.
2: We're a long way from planting this year. You know, the next step's going to be getting enough heat in that soil to sprout any crop to start with.
3: Phil Kaspari is the Delta Area UAF Cooperative Extension Service agent, and he says the presence of all that snow and slush on fields around the area means farmers aren't going to be able to get those plants in the ground anytime soon.
1: We normally like to be in the field really making good progress around May 10th, and that isn't going to happen
3: Kaspari says grains like barley should be planted by May 25th to enable it to mature enough to ensure a good harvest. And also because that's the cutoff date for farmers to be eligible for a full crop insurance payout if the growing season turns out poorly again.
1: Last year, with all of the snow that we had, a lot of guys didn't get started until the 22nd, 23rd. And we had that late July frost and then that early August frost.
3: Mugridge says farmers were already dealing with problems left over from the pandemic, like a sluggish supply chain and high fuel and fertilizer costs. And he says if cool weather persists, farmers are facing the prospect of a third consecutive year of poor harvest.
2: When we have these late plantings, we hope we have a extended late fall or something, but we really haven't had those either.
3: A late spring warm-up doesn't mean the growing season will extend later into the fall, says Rick Toman, a climate specialist with the University of Alaska Fairbanks' Center for Climate Assessment and Policy. But he says this summer's long-term forecast suggests it'll be warmer than usual in the interior and that rainfall will be about average.
1: The odds tilt to favor uh, significantly above normal.
3: Tolman says he understands why farmers would like temperatures to warm up as quickly as possible, but he says gradual warming is better to reduce the chances of flooding.
1: With the deep snowpack with the very cold April, were we to have temperatures, um, you know, in the 70s, which at this time of year is entirely possible, um, that would be a real recipe for serious breakup flooding.
3: Mugridge is president of the Alaska Farm Bureau, and he says farmers around the state are dealing with the same problem. He says he's encouraged by higher temperatures over the past few days in the interior that have melted most of the snow on his fields. And he's glad to hear about the warmer-than-usual summer forecast.
2: We can still get there this year. I mean, we may be late, but maybe we'll have the fall that will make a bountiful crop.
3: That's a hope shared by all of Alaska's farmers and livestock producers. Meanwhile, Mugridge says he'll continue to use last year's harvest to keep his cows contented. In Delta Junction, I'm Tim Ellis.
0: The Central Cando- Council of the Shinged and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska is withdrawing from the Alaska Federation of Natives, Tlingit and Haida is Alaska's largest federally recognized tribe. Its executive council voted to withdraw from AFN at a meeting last week. In a statement, President Richard Chaiha'ish Peterson said the tribe can manage relationships with the state and federal governments on its own. AFN has more than 200 tribal and corporate members. The withdrawal from AFN is the latest in a series of major moves for the tribe this year. In January, Peterson signed a deed to put a parcel of land into a federal trust, essentially creating Indian country in downtown Juneau. A few months later, the tribe purchased another acre of commercial property in Juneau as part of an ongoing effort to return ownership of traditional lands. And in March, Tlingit and Haida was one of five tribal organizations selected for a state tribal education compacting grant Peterson was unavailable for comment on Monday. Spokespeople for AFN did not reply to requests for comment. A Coast Guard helicopter crew from Air Station Sitka rescued two teenage hikers from Mount Verstovia on Saturday afternoon. The teens, ages 14 and 15, called 911 shortly before 4.30 p.m. after they found themselves lost on the trail. They were at around 1900 feet in elevation. Sitka Mountain Rescue then called for Coast Guard assistance. Petty Officer Ian Gray says two things made the rescue pretty straightforward. The first, the hikers had their cell phones on them, and that helped the crew locate them quickly.
1: They got off the trail. Um, they realized that they were in trouble and distress, that they couldn't find their way back to the trail, and they, they did a great job by calling 911 and, and uh, letting them know exactly what was going on.
0: The second thing that helped simplify the rescue mission, clear skies, which is often not the case in Southeast Alaska.
1: A lot of times, you know, the weather's not great for, for cases that we go out in. This was different in that we could see them immediately and, uh, you know, hover in place and, and safely rescue the two teenagers.
0: It took the Coast Guard crew around 25 minutes to locate the lost hikers and bring them back to safety and awaiting family members at the air station. No injuries were reported. Thank you so much for joining me for Midday Magazine. My name is Shelby Herbert, and I report for KFSK.